an urban garden in Phoenix is growing traditional Native American crops from the Southwest, while in New Mexico, fitness enthusiasts are motivating Native people to eat healthy and get in shape. And in Los Angeles County, traditional teachings such as drumming and dance are helping community members maintain sobriety. Tribes, Native organizations, and grassroots coalitions across the country are seeking to help Native Americans and Alaska Natives improve their health. Incorporating more traditional foods in diets may be a key part of creating change in the health of families and communities. In this special Reconnecting with a Healthy Lifestyle, we hear stories about traditional foods from across the country. Stay with us for a conversation about the role of food in a healthy lifestyle. Welcome to the special show, Reconnecting to a Healthy Lifestyle. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. The three sisters, corns, beans, and squash, have long been part of the diets of Native Americans in the Southwest. On the Great Plains, buffalo is an important food. And in Alaska, fish, berries, moose, and caribou, for generation after generation, have sustained Alaska Native people. For indigenous people, food is a way to stay connected to the land, and stories and knowledge about these foods is part of culture. But colonization created barriers to traditional foods and medicines, from not being able to hunt on ancestral land to commodity boxes of unhealthy foods provided by the federal government to families on reservations. Today, busy lives, less physical activity, and a lack of access to fresh healthy foods also contributes to the poor health outcomes of Native Americans and Alaska Natives. Joining me to discuss the importance of traditional foods is Chef Brian Yazzie. Brian is Navajo and he's currently based in Minneapolis. Welcome, Brian. Hello, thank you for having me. Brian, so what traditional foods do you regularly use in your kitchen right now? Right now I have temporary beans from uh, Ramona's farm out of um, Gila River Reservation. And I have some blue corn, Hopi blue corn, also from Ramona's farm. Those two ingredients are what I have in my pantry right now that I've been using recently. What are some of the other foods that you're hoping to incorporate or get your hands on? When I started cooking with specifically indigenous ingredients and indigenous cuisine, I have been focused more on the Midwest regional indigenous food, Dakotas, Ojibwe's, and Within the last year, I have been doing a lot of research and, you know, talking to elders and connecting with chefs here in the Southwest. And I would like to focus more within the Southwest region of where I am from. But I would also like to focus widely um, across uh, across the states as well as in working with salmon from the Pacific Northwest and working with choya buds in New Mexico, Arizona and quail, California, the southwest as well, and then bison in the plains, and pawpaws in um, the east coast. So there are chefs out there who focus on regional food, and for me, I like to focus more widely and combine these flavors. Wow, so that that sounds really great, and um, we also put out a call to our listeners of National Native News. Um, We asked about stories about traditional foods, and we got some Facebook um, feedback with a group we created on the National Native News Facebook page. Um, Brandon says, 
To me, traditional food is our connection to our ancestors, history, and culture. It also makes for a healthy and happy soul. That's what Brandon told us on our National Native News Facebook page. Let's hear some other stories now. My name is Julia Jimmy. My big name is Amokan. Traditional foods that are important to me are fish. I guess being from around the Kaskokwim area and other places in Alaska, like the Kaskokwim Bay, we eat fish all year, starting with the salmon in the spring and the different kinds of salmon that come in the summertime and white fish, black fish starting in the fall and then pike in the spring and then people fish for white fish through the ice all winter. And our Yupik word for fish is naka, which means food also. Hi, my name is Petra Harpuk. I'm from Bethel, Alaska, which is 397 miles west of Anchorage, Alaska. I'm married to Francis Harpuk of Mountain Village and have five children. Every summer, my whole family, when we have an opportunity for a fish opener on the Kuskokwim River, my husband goes out fishing with a drift net for chum salmon, also known as dog salmon or kita salmon, red salmon, also known as sockeye salmon, king salmon, also known as chinook salmon, and silver salmon, also known as coho salmon. At the fish camp, which is basically a camp where we dry all our fish for the whole winter, first comes the cutting of the fish. Women and men use an ulok, also known as a ulu, and most have a certain traditional way taught by their grandmothers or mothers. Next is drying the fish on the rack. After drying the fish is smoking. On the Kuskokwim River, there are alder, cottonwood, and driftwood for smoking the dry fish. Another traditional important food for my family are berries, salmon berries, blueberries, blackberries, and red berries, which are all grown every summer up until fall on the tundra. Moose and caribou are also important for my family. We can't just purchase these at the store. My husband goes out hunting when the season opens. Our main dish at home are meat, fish, and berries. Traditional foods are important for my family. We rely on subsistence foods. It's important. Um, I want to pass down my traditions to my children and my grandchildren. It's just the way how we grew up. My name is Shane Iverson, and I moved to rural Alaska about 15 years ago, and I've been staying here ever since, and a big part of that reason is uh my ability to connect with the land and the fish and animals uh, that live here. I'm uh, a gusuk, which is the Yupik term for a white person, um, but I did m- marry into a Yupik family um, from Akiak here on the Kuskokwim River, which is where I live. And uh, a big reason of a big reason I have decided to make my adult life here in rural Alaska is uh, my ability to stay connected with with the land and the animals. And it's really the, the Yupik values that I've embraced and I, I try to try to live by uh, every day. And, and specifically when it relates to um, food and health, uh, 
is the Nugushback code or Nugushback values. Nugushback is a Yupik word uh, which translates to great provider or great hunter. I don't profess to be either, but I strive for both. And uh, in the traditional sense, my understanding is a, a Nugushback is someone who not only is successful at um, catching up to animals and bringing them back as food for for family and community, but someone who also gives away uh, an abundance of those of that kind of food, and um, so that's that's a value that uh, brings a lot of meaning to my life and gives me a sense of purpose. Uh, so that's that's become part of who I am in my transformation from the Midwest to rural Alaska and specifically um, Yupik country. And those were some voices from Alaska, some folks talking about traditional foods. You heard some ladies also saying just how passing on to generations was important to them. We asked the community what traditional foods are important to your tribe. On Facebook, here are some of the other foods we've heard about so far. Um, black seaweed, sheep, corn stew, beans. A lot of people across Indian country are talking about traditional foods. Um, there are gardens, farms, and seed banks. Tribes and community groups are teaching people how to gather traditional medicines and preserve fresh foods using practices that go back generations. Um, Brian, what are some of your favorite methods of preserving meat and other foods? I do a lot of dehydrating meat, vegetables, as in squash and um, sunchokes and hominy as well, and bringing those into flour. And I recently made a um, an, an amaranth and butternut squash on a tortilla. So I dehydrated the squash and... I grind up to um, into a powder consistent, and I mix that with uh, roasted amaranth flour. So to me, preserving, one of my, my main methods would be dehydrating. Wow, that sounds great. And for people who didn't grow up, you know, preparing traditional foods, um, how can they learn some techniques? I would say um, to, to connect with chefs and seed keepers, servants on social media. You know, we have a big presence out there. You, you can connect widely with anyone across the board and see the websites they have, see the YouTube videos they have, and see the um, articles and links that they put up about preserving food and how to, and how they are sharing their knowledge. And now let's hear from Lauren Anthony, who's an author and advocate from the Navajo Nation. He's spreading the word about the value of cooking from home and being prepared and planning healthy meals for your week. Operate. I'm an actor, uh, activist, uh, active in so many different fields of life. Uh, considered the Navajo Forest Gump because of all the different titles I have. So today we're going to be doing some healthy eating, cooking, uh, something that I do enjoy. I've been doing meal prep for uh, at least seven years. And then so recently kind of opened up to the public and started doing uh, meal prep meals for the community and the people that wanted it. So it's really taken off and showing people how to eat healthy. We're going to be making some uh, grilled chicken and we're going to show you how to, you know, any uh, any place has grilled ch- uh, has uh, chicken breast that you can use. And I prefer chicken breast because it has more of the um, uh, protein than other other types of meat. You know, you got your fish, 
you have like uh, lean steak and stuff like that, which is awesome. But uh, we're going to be working with chicken here today. And a lot of times you can go to the, the supermarket and you'll find like uh, uh, quarters or halves and stuff like that. But you always want to try to get the, um, the chicken breast. And sometimes it has skin on there and, it, and the, the, the majority of the fat is on the skin. So you want to make sure you get rid of the, the fat that, that, um, that's on there so that way you have most of the protein. If you don't prepare for your, for your day, if you don't prepare for your week as far as eating clean, then majority of the time you're going to go pull off into some like fast food joint and, and, um, and end up you know, eating something that's not good for you. Because the meal that I'm working on right now, this is going to be under 350 calories, which um, if you eat seven of them would equal to uh, one double Whopper from Burger King with the medium fries and a medium Coke. Which is, which is nuts. Seven meals compared to one. Who would not want that? You know? And see, those, those type of foods don't last very long. We just get hungry. So the key to losing weight and getting in shape with food is eating. Because the more you eat, the, and it's clean food, your body figures it out and it says, hey, so-and-so is not starving us anymore. And we can actually get rid of the storage that we have. I love what I do. You know, it's it's if it's from meal prep to like motivational speaking to acting to chopping chiz for our elders, uh, going out and helping our people out in the street, down to you know rowdy naughty kids. I love it. Like and and a lot of people, you know, just dread their jobs or they dread doing what they're doing. And it's like, why do you have to do that? You know, you don't you don't really have to put yourself through that. Start doing things that you enjoy doing. And so I want our our people, my friends, I want um, our community to be healthy because there's so many people out there just struggling with their health issues. And, and I think the real health care plans are, you know, at home, not when you get sick and end up in the hospital. So a lot of times I, I choose not to go to these places, these fast food places, because they don't have anything nutritious for my body. And I feel that we should respect our bodies enough to put quality into our bodies because we deserve it you know we only have one body why not why not give it some good stuff and how has colonization impacted indigenous ways of eating well one is we don't go and hunt and gather anymore like we used to you know the way way i say i may i tease and poke fun and say i'm going hunting gathering which means i'm going grocery shopping um, but we don't go actually hunting and and building our foods and see when we we used to do that you know, we would go out and build a fire, and a lot of our people don't know how to build a fire anymore, just without matches, you know. But if we do that, there's work put into that. You work into the putting in the hunt, you work into the gathering, you work into preparing the food. And then families, they create stories and sit there and talk about stuff. But we don't do that anymore. We just go to the drive through get our food, go home. And then everybody goes in their separate rooms and eats. Or, you know, don't even sit at the table anymore. So that has changed a lot, you know. So... The the even just cooking at that time was work. It was work, and we don't we don't put in work anymore. And see, our bodies they crave it. Our bodies craves craves work. It needs to be physical. This is the trusty grill. If you got one, it's awesome to have and use. This grill has made a lot of meals, and I think chicken, any kind of meat, tastes super awesome on the grill. And um, using the olive oil helps keep your food from sticking to the grill or any other uh, 
pan type of uh, dish that you're going to use to cook in. Uh, why I have a big following and what I do is because I'm probably the biggest um, late night infomercial that is reality because a lot of the people that follow me online, people that know me in the community, they see me almost at 300 pounds. And they see me having a negative lifestyle. They see me going through all of this. So then for them to <clears throat> see that, um, well, Lauren's been through this, and now look at where he's at. You know, he's done bodybuilding shows. He's done uh, powerlifting meets, and he's a world champ and all this other stuff. So it's it's them seeing the, re the, 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 the actual results of everything. And that's the biggest thing. People always wonder, how do you do it? But then when you do do it, they ask you, like how how did you get it done? You know why? You know before it was why, but now how? I want to know. So for me, it's like a consistent um, walking the line and talking the talk. So it's important to me. So those people that are like skeptics out there, there's a lot of them. But I tell them, you know, whenever you're ready, whenever you're ready, hit me up. And that was Lauren Anthony talking about meal preparation, meal prep as it's commonly known. A lot of people who are into health and fitness use uh, meal preparation as every day, not just um, once a week, but they often use that in their everyday lifestyle. And Brian, um, Lauren shares his knowledge about cooking with friends and family. What are some other ways that you're seeing people share knowledge about cooking and even traditional foods? I would like to bring up a, um, a nonprofit organization that I am a part of. It's based out of Minneapolis called Natives. What stands for that is a North American Traditional Indigenous Food System. And there will be two parts to it, which is a focus of Indigenous culinary education and Indigenous food access. So it will be a hub in a way of a culinary center, specifically focused on Indigenous um, ingredients and We'll be bringing in youth and the community's elders, and you know, they will be um, trained and taught of uh, preserving food and cooking food and um, you know, foraging and, and identifying plants and knowing different cuts of meat as well. And gaining this knowledge and sharing with the community is one part of that organization. And the second part is Indigenous food access, and that is connecting with tribal communities and bringing this hub into like a satellite bringing forth these different um, small businesses within communities and helping these entrepreneurs open a restaurant with this concept of um, indigenous ingredients. And this program project you're talking about, is it in the planning stages or is it um, already being put out there right now? Yes, there's two parts to this um, organization. And one is um, indigenous culinary education, which is um, a focus on training and bringing knowledge to um, our community members, um, the youth and the elders, and gaining this knowledge and carrying that knowledge and sharing with their families and bringing forth this um, this skill and and just um, creating meals, indigenous healthy meals as well. And the second part of it is uh, indigenous food access. And as it being a hub, uh, we're going to start in a satellite across uh, North America and we're going to be connecting with tribal communities and uh, entrepreneurs who need help, who need um, skills um, to gain and to open restaurants and a food truck. And we will be training and helping these uh, community members and bring forth their, um, their, their dream and their goal and to help revitalize um, healthy indigenous cuisine. 
And when you get questions from people or you hear from community members, there may be some people out there who think that, oh, my gosh, I would like to cook, but it just takes so long. It takes too much time. If someone is out there and is intimidated by cooking, what are some of the tips um, you'd share to help them get started? Yeah, I would say to um, do a long, long-term long goal as in cooking on the weekend and and having meals prepped for the following week. Yes, it does take a long to cook, especially if you're making a type of soup or a type of um dish that you know that takes a couple hours. But um, for me, I always like to prep a day or two ahead and just create these different ingredients and cook these ingredients and just um put them in in the fridge and then when I need them, you know, they're there, they're ready to use, and and then I can season them and add with um, a dish that I would like. So I would say um, it, it is hard. It, it does um, take long, but if you focus on it, um, you would have a lot of fun. Well, it sounds uh, like some good tips there. Thanks for that, Brian. Um, and when we talk about food and we look at food across the country, whether you're in an urban setting or on a reservation, there also comes um, – some challenges to accessing food and the types of food that you're receiving. Um, we let, Let's hear from a, a specialist, Dr. Tennille Marley, who's an associate professor of American Indian Studies at Arizona State University. Um, she's White Mountain Apache. And I spoke with her about her research on social determinants of health, and that's the environment around us and how it impacts our health like housing, lack of access to parks and green spaces on reservations, or even how the lack of sidewalks makes people less likely to go out and exercise with their families. Now let's hear from Dr. Marley. Things such as stress, being in an overcrowded household, things such as just access to food, having to travel many, many miles to get to a grocery store that has an abundance of fruit and vegetables. And what about looking at tradition and culture? How does that play into health and wellness? When I did my dissertation research, I looked at what were potential links between diabetes and indigenous knowledge and land and history. And one of the things that I found across the board in my research is a lot of people talked about this distance between people and land. So if you think about, um, I know with the Diné and the White Mountain Apache, we have our clan system. And our clan system is who we are. And our clan is a physical place. It's a location where our ancestors first grew corn. And so a lot of people talked about how we're no longer connected to these places. People may not identify with clans anymore. And so there were implications for health. And that could be things such as, you know, not respecting the earth. And people also talked about we were gardeners as well. We grew a lot of corn. But people talked about how if you're handling your food and you're caring for that food and you're consuming that food, you're going to have a lot more respect for what you're eating compared to if you're going to the grocery store and picking things up. You don't know where it's coming from. And so people talked about, like, you know, this respect for food and being engaged with it. We know that diabetes, obesity was virtually unheard of, but because of colonization, um, we were introduced to rations. We learned um, because of the rations, we started making fry bread, and that displaced our traditional foods. It displaced the corn. It displaced the beans, all these things that we grew. So if we can go back to those, it would solve several issues. One, our diets would be healthier. 
But if people grow their own gardens, then they're going to have that access to food. And beans, you know, if you grow beans, you can keep that. Once they're dried out, you can keep them year-round. You can dry corn. And we know that traditional corn isn't as sweet as, um, you know, my community, we call it white people's corn, <laughs> which is a lot more sweet. I teach Introduction to American Indian Studies 101. Um, and one of the things I always stress is that, you know, fry bread is not a traditional food. Um, but a lot of kids are coming in knowing that it's, it's not traditional. And so I think it would be virtually impossible to get rid of fry bread altogether. But maybe there are ways around it. Maybe we, you know, um, make smaller fry bread. I mean, it's still not going to be as healthy, but at least you're not eating. Um, in my community, people, women take pride in how big their tortillas and fry bread can be. But really, what we need to do is just shrink it by half or more. And, and I think that's one way we could address it without having to eliminate it completely. That was Dr. Tanil Marley, and a researcher at ASU, and um, she was talking a little bit about social determinants of health and looking at Native communities across the country in some of her work. Brian, um, what do you think about what Dr. Marley shared about the value in staying connected to the land and also the process of growing food? It's a full circle as cooks and chefs and um, scholars and seed keepers and people who are connected and working with food. You know, we're we're not just cooks and in the kitchen. We're also teachers as well. You know, um, when we're cooking, when we're bringing out a dish, you know, we have the story where these ingredients came from. And that story has to be told. And before, you know, the term paleo diet or farm to table, before that was brought up and before, you know, these words are created. It's just that it's something that we have been doing for hundreds of years, and we're just finally now bringing back in a full circle and working with these um these type of ingredients. So I love everything that she, she said, and, you know, to me, it, it's a full circle. And like we said earlier in the program, we put out a call to people across the country to talk about health and wellness and traditional foods. Let's hear some more from people who answered our call for stories about traditional foods. My name is John Active, and my Yupik handle is Akumwachik. I am a Yupik Eskimo. I live in Bethel, Alaska. My traditional foods are very important because from a very small child, those are the foods that my parents used to feed me and my grandparents. So I love native foods, traditional foods. Mainly fish. We love fish. We love king salmon. We dry them, smoke them, and we eat them with akutak. That's the other favorite food that my parents and grandparents used to eat. Fresh salmon berries picked off the tundra, whipped up into a yupik ice cream, and eaten with dry fish. Mmm, real good. And do I eat the same food today? Every chance I get. I learned how to make a gutak from a very young age. I learned how to cut, dry, smoke fish from a pretty young age. And I do that every chance I get during the summer and the fall. Pick the berries in the fall and do fish during the summer. Dry them and cure them. But nowadays, you know, 
with the numbers of fish returning to our river, the Kuskokwim, western Alaska, the numbers of fish are getting lower and lower and we're being restricted. That's the only trouble with getting our fish, especially the king salmon, which are our favorite. If you could see me, because I eat my native foods every chance I get, and you know I can eat anybody under the table, never gain weight, and thank God the native foods are healthier anyway because they come from the land. We have to work for them. We have to hunt for them. We have to prepare them and everything. And that takes a lot of energy. And so that that makes me healthy. That makes us Yupik healthy and other native groups here in Alaska too who live the traditional subsistence lifestyle. We're pretty healthy looking people. Wish you were here with us. And that was John Active from Alaska talking about native foods and some of the foods that he enjoys to eat. This is the special series, Reconnecting to a Healthy Lifestyle. We have to take a short break. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Reconnecting with a Healthy Lifestyle. This is a special broadcast from National Native News, and our focus is traditional foods. We want to hear from you. Go to the National Native News Facebook page and join the conversation on our Traditional Foods Facebook group. Or call in and tell us your story about traditional foods. That number is 505-702-8571. That's 505-702-8571. Farmers play an important role in maintaining food traditions. I recently visited the farm of Tezuque Pueblo in northern New Mexico. Gailey Morgan is a farmer and former tribal council member, and he helps oversee the farm and seed bank at the Pueblo. The traditional farming here always deals with seeds and um, pertaining to the land and water. And everything else around us, the elements, the mountains, the air, the animals. So they all play a part in our farming traditions here. First and foremost is the corn, followed by beans, squash, uh, melons, chili, um, tobacco. So some of those are the important farming to Pueblo people. We have stores now that we can easily go to the stores and, and buy our food, you know. Um, where before in the past, what we as Pueblo people would do was, you know, farm our lands. And that was the main important. That was our food source, not just to eat, but also for survival. People are easily going to go to the store and buy 
the products that are available to them at the stores instead of um, farming the fields. Yeah, you know, they don't want to go home and prepare meals. They can easily just go and get fast food. And, you know, that's made an impact here within our communities, you know, with diabetes. Um, so that's been the impact that we felt here in our Pueblo of what I believe is, you know, going back to the land and taking care of it. Our ancestors left it for us. And so it's our duty to go ahead and, and keep it going for future generations. Um, well, we do a lot of traditional native seeds. Um, we do tasuki seeds. Uh, we do a lot of the Hopi varieties, um, some Navajo, um, Taos. So, you know, a variety of native indigenous seeds. Farming is very important to Pueblo people. You know, it's our way of life. We've been doing it for centuries, not just here in northern New Mexico, but, you know, also in Central America, South America. So we're all, you know, you know, like a one big family doing this farming, especially with corn. That's the mother of everybody from north, south, east, and west. Just like how you have water protectors, you have seed protectors, and that's what we are is maintaining your traditional seeds, planting them every year, making sure that they're taken care of, um, just like we've built this for the seeds. This is their home. And that was Gailey Morgan, a farmer here in New Mexico who runs the Tezuke Pueblo Farm and Seed Bank. And joining me today to discuss traditional foods is Chef Brian Yazzie. And Brian is Navajo, and he's currently based in Minneapolis. Uh, welcome back to the program, Brian. Hello. And we just heard from farmer Gailey Morgan. Tell us about your relationship with farmers. It's an interesting relationship because when you're um, dining, when you're in a restaurant, it's always a question of how many people have in their mind, like, where did this food come from? Besides it being cooked in the kitchen, you know, where where did it come from? And recently I read um research study about how people are starting to, even the youth, are getting involved in organic food and farm to table. And they're, you know, they're curious of where the food actually comes from. So it's an interesting and relationship with chefs and farmers. And a lot of young people are also involved in not only the work that you're doing with cooking, um, but also in agribusiness itself and being an advocate. We talked to Mariah Gladstone, who took part in the Advancing Native Foods Traditions for Indian Country Roundtable, which was hosted by U.S. Senators in Washington, D.C. Mariah is passionate about food sovereignty and health and wellness, and she created a web cooking show about traditional foods. The whole nutrition discussion and policy from the nutrition side, underlying statistic that 25% of Native people are receiving some type of federal food assistance. And... You know, obviously, indigenous histories in the U.S. are marred with federal food assistance that has severely disrupted our traditional foods um, and caused us to lose a lot of that traditional knowledge. Looking at that from the policy side, the real things that we need to be promoting um, in those food programs are more flexibility for tribes to be able to tailor federal food assistance programs to their own needs and their own traditions. And that includes consultation with tribes from the USDA side. Um, it includes regional partnerships for um, the federal just 
distribution program on Indian reservations. Additionally, I think require um, the federal distribution program on Indian reservations to purchase traditional foods, including bison, wild rice, blue corn, salmon, things that are known to the community and have been eaten over thousands of years. Um, not only is there a nutritional benefit to the recipients of that, um, but there's an addition benefit um, of promoting the Indian producers. And that was Mariah Gladstone giving some comments at a roundtable hosted by U.S. Senators in Washington, D.C. And now we're joined on the phone by Mariah. Can you tell us a few things about traditional foods and why they're important to you? Sure thing. Traditional foods are really important to me um, as a Native person, primarily because of the health epidemic that's plaguing Native communities related to the rapid change in our diets over the past 200 years. Um, We're seeing skyrocketing levels of diabetes and obesity and malnutrition and other diet-related illnesses. Um, But I think it's also really important to relearn a lot of that information that has been lost through the systematic colonization of our diets, um, helping restore that tie to the land, restore the tie to our food, and learn to take care of ourselves on that physical level. Agriculture in general, um, but Indian ag especially, um, is really working on focusing on up-and-coming producers, um, primarily because the average age of farmers and ranchers in the U.S. is sink into its 60s by now, Um, which means that if we're to keep small producers um, and Indian production systems alive, we need to make sure that young people are getting involved and are finding encouragement both within their communities, um, within the markets, and um, within Congress as well. Okay, great. And um, Mariah, say hello to Brian. You know, um, Brian, go ahead, uh, Chef Brian, go ahead and ask um, Mariah your question. What are the main focus on introducing the the you to um, the work that you do? And what, what, what is the main message of getting them passed and having them hooked to, um, you know, um, with what you are doing? I'm not a producer or a grower myself, um, but my involvement with agriculture is more in revitalizing traditional foods. And I'm doing that by reteaching some of the information about our traditional foods through Indigikitchen. So there is an emphasis on relearning a lot of that information that's been lost in a lot of our communities, whether it's you know sharing links to my site, my videos, things like that, whether it's doing workshops with the youth, helping them think about what the traditional foods are in their own communities, um, who's still growing things, do they know how to identify the plants in their area, um, things like that. So talking to the youth beyond, you know, just the production scale, but also thinking of, you know, how to be consumers of Indigenous food as well. Thank you, Mariah, for joining us today. And another person who is working with young people and teaching them about Native foods and plants and medicines is Linda Black Elk. And Linda is with the Tribal College in, um, in the Plains region. Let's hear a little bit from Linda. 
I'm actually originally from the Catawba Nation, but I've lived on the Standing Rock Reservation for most of my life. I teach ethnobotany here at Sitting Bull College, which is the tribal college on Standing Rock. And um, yeah, I've done that for, gosh, going on two decades now. Um, I would say that I approach ethnobotany from a really unique perspective with my students because while I want them to get uh, the sort of Western scientific perspective on plants, it's way more important to me that they receive an indigenous perspective on plants and that they don't just learn about the plants uh, in the classroom, but that they really get some hands-on experience working with these plants, not just cooking with them and preparing traditional meals, um, but also making traditional medicines from them. And so I spend a lot of my time doing stuff like that. I think one of the best compliments I've ever gotten from uh, a student before, and I've actually heard this many times since, is uh, when a student told me that they used to just drive down the road on Standing Rock, and when they would look out their window, they just saw grass, grass everywhere, just fields of grass. Um, But after taking the ethnobotany class, they start to realize just how incredibly diverse the landscape is and just how well their, um, you know, their ancestors were able to thrive here. Just that incredible diversity of beautiful, delicious, and useful plants for their final exam, they actually don't take a test on paper. My students have to cook a meal, cook a dish to share with the rest of the class. So we have this huge potluck on the last day of class, and everyone brings a unique dish that has to incorporate um, at least uh, three wild plants that they've gathered themselves and prepared. And um, I had a student who went all out and did a three-course meal and um, she had, um, uh, gosh, it was she. She had picked wild mint, and she made wild mint ice cream with chocolate chips in it, which was delicious. And then um, she made pulled pork sliders, in which she had seasoned the pork with wild sage, wild mint, um, uh, and actually two different types of mint. Uh, another one was bee balm that she used in there, and she served them with a coleslaw that was made from lamb's quarters um, and two other wild greens. Um, You um, helped out with the medic and healer camp there at Standing Rock during the time the camps were there. Can you share a little bit about um, some of the healing that went on? I had an elder come in and she had a really terribly infected wound on her foot. She said at first it wasn't that bad, but it had gotten to the point where it looked like it was infected and she came to us for help. Um, so I started using some traditional medicines on her foot. And as I would do, as I would um, add each of these plants to the preparation that I was putting together for her, I would tell her their Lakota names. And, um, you know, I would add them to the preparation and I'd tell her everything that I was doing. And um, she started to cry. And I actually thought that it was because she was in such terrible pain. And she said, um, and and so I said, you know, I'm I'm really sorry, you know, uh, should I get you something for the pain? And she said, no, she said, I'm actually, she said, I'm fine. It doesn't hurt that badly. I'm crying because I'm, I'm so touched because my own mother knew all of these plants. And I remember these names and I, 
every time that you say their names in the Lakota language, she said, I just feel a little better, and it gives me a little more hope that people know these plants still and are utilizing them still. When you when you eat traditional foods, when you use traditional medicine, I really feel like our genes, you know, our, our very spirits recognize those plants. And um, it doesn't just heal us externally, they heal us internally as well. I actually saw that as a member, uh, as a part of the Medic and Healer Council, I saw that take place at Standing Rock. We're actually building a clinic right here on Standing Rock called the Mani Wichoni Clinic. Of course, Water is Life Clinic. And um, it's going to follow all of those principles and have all of these beautiful plant medicines available for the people here. And Brian, you were also at Standing Rock. Um, can you share a little bit about what you did there? For me, the way I was able to, to contribute to the cause and to um, to bring the skills and the knowledge I had was in a way of cooking. And for me, that was a way of giving back and, and helping the community and bring awareness as well. And so when I was at Standing Rock, when I took the, um, the trips there, um, it was focused on pre-colonial food and with accompanied with produce that were brought every day from community members, Standing Rock, Bismarck, they were bringing daily, you know, produce, and which was great to use as well. But my main focus was bringing, you know, using these wild game. And I never made it to to the front line. My front line was in the kitchen and providing an indigenous meal daily for um, the warriors on the front line as they are fighting for our indigenous rights. This is a special show, Reconnecting to a Healthy Lifestyle. My co-host is Chef Brian Yazzie. I'm Antonia Gonzalez, anchor of National Native News. We've talked about sharing knowledge about traditional foods and the relationship with farmers and encouraging young people to get into agribusiness and learn more about traditional foods and medicines. Now let's hear from some female cooks and restaurant owners who are making a contribution to their community through traditional foods. My name is Cezanne Nodway. I've been working in restaurants for the past, like, since I can remember, like, probably 16, 17. And from there, I developed, like, just a love for food, a love for cooking. Also, when I was younger, I was, for for us, it was a feast. The kids were the ones that were in charge of preparing, like, the, the potatoes, the onions, cutting up the meat, or, you know, taking cutting up the fish, filling the fish, making the tea, setting up the whole table, and the women were the ones that cooked and the men hunted or they fished and whatnot. So it was pretty much what I was brought up to do. You know, I didn't have a choice. I didn't know catering existed when I was young. It was only when I was about 17 where I helped the local caterer and to chop up vegetables and whatnot, and he did all the cooking, and then I helped him deliver, and I was just so blown away about this, you know, this catering life. Traditional foods mean, it means like, uh, you know, moose meat, deer meat, beaver, rabbit, maple syrup, strawberries, raspberries, like that for me is in the Shinabe medium, defines who I am, but it also means like this is what I grew up on. Also, uh, traditional like medium for me in the Shinabe medium means like honoring the animal as well, because I was brought up that we respect the animals and, you know, like it's you know, when we kill an animal, we, we say miigwech, miigwech for your life, miigwech that you're going to feed us. 
and also I was raised as, you know, my grandmother taught me, my grandmother is, my grandfather, you don't feel sorry for an animal when you kill it because you take the meaning away from them because, you know, that's that's what we were taught. You, you take their meaning of life away from them. I know not everyone will agree, but that's what I was brought up to believe, and I still believe that strongly. And the dishes that were prepared for me are the same Pretty much, like a lot of the dishes that I grew up on, are the, a lot of the dishes that I that I serve in my catering, like uh, like braised meat and onions and like cooked in tea, like mozo and then it's served simply with like mashed potatoes or just boiled potatoes. But I mean, I make my potatoes different for my catering, or I'll serve it with wild rice pilaf for some sort. Uh, maybe throw in a little bit of quinoa with some. You know, roasted vegetables. The way I grew up, and then I can't speak for everyone's culture, like, around here, but for myself, like, I grew up on blueberries, strawberries, blackberries, like, raspberries, cranberries, like, you name it. And, you know what I mean? Like, if the creator gave it, like, you know, it's 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 there, so we we use it. Inez Cook, co-founder of Salmon and Bannock Bistro. We opened during the Vancouver 2010 Winter Olympics, so February 15th will be my eighth anniversary. All of my staff is First Nations, and we take all traditional ingredients and we serve with a modern palate. We serve all wild fish and free-range organic game. I'm New Hulk from Bella Coola, and I'm not sure what they call it in the States, but up here we call it the 60 Scoop. So I'm part of the, the group that was taken away and adopted out. So I didn't grow up with my heritage. I didn't grow up knowing anything about my culture. It's actually through the restaurant that I have been able to be reconnected. What I've learned about traditional foods from every area is you eat what, what you have available or you trade for it. One thing that's traditional in my territory is the ulican fish. As it turns out, there isn't any more coming into their region. So they've actually built a totem pole trying to bless the, the area to try to get the Ulicans to come back. You know, of course, salmon is very prominent in my culture and in my territory. And it really just depends on the area that, that you live in and, and grow up with. Venison is another big thing in our region. You know, something funny is, is not very far away from my territory. There's a little community called Honey Guatine. I went to visit them with one of my chefs in the past, and we helped open up their community kitchen. It was awesome. We used the ingredients that they had locally, but their elders came on a, on a trip to Vancouver and came into the restaurant for luncheon, and we did a beautiful elk and sockeye dinner for them. They were afraid to eat it because they thought it was exotic food. They'd never had elk or sockeye. They didn't actually grow up with those foods. All of our food is food from the land. We just do it with a modern taste. A traditional palate is different than a modern palate. They didn't have the spices or, or things that we're used to now. I mean, we're really spoiled in this day that we can just go to the supermarket and buy so many things. I just found out that there's a First Nations company that's going to start processing their venison and different game meats that they get in Haida Gwaii, and they're going to be doing it at, at a commercial processing plant. I'm extremely excited about that. And that was Sinez Nottaway and Inez Cook from Canada talking about native food and their businesses. Uh, Brian, you see a lot of males and restaurants and kitchens. Um, why do you think it's important to hear from women who are also leading um, the way in the professional food world? It is very important. 
now you see female chefs who are um, breaking that that classic gender stereotypes in the kitchen, and you know, they're stepping forward and they're representing in a way just as male chefs are, you know. And I don't think there should be that status of a gender situation in the kitchen, as in putting a male chef at a, a higher standard than female, you know, working just as hard, keeping that balance. And I'm connected with um with female chefs. I reach out for guidance and um receiving knowledge from these female chefs. And as for me, when I first started cooking, you know, it was from my mom, you know, just seeing her in the kitchen and how she she's moving in the kitchen and working, you know, that motivated me, inspired me to become a chef. And now looking at these female chefs and working within their areas and working with ingredients and bringing, bringing them to life and having stories behind that. And it, it, it's beautiful. And it is time to break that um, stereotype and, and have more female chefs in, in the kitchen. Great. Well, let's now get uh, Shiloh Maples on the line. And she's the Sacred Roots Program Coordinator in Detroit. Good afternoon, Shiloh. Thank you for having the time to um, speak with us this afternoon. Oh, my pleasure. How did you get started with um, working, engaging with the community, with the youth, and um, with cooking classes and the holistic part of um, the work that you do? Well, it's been a lifelong journey, really. But more recently, so when I first started working at American Indian Health, here in Detroit, I started working in the youth program, and my supervisor saw that I really had an interest in the gardening and cooking class aspect of what I was doing. So she kind of put me in charge of that, and I kind of ran with it. And so we got a, a grant that allowed us to uh, engage community in some conversations about how they really wanted to address the needs that they saw in, in the community. And I've just taken that information and tried to work with them in partnership to trying to make those things happen. So we're doing that through a community, what we're calling the Community Heritage Garden. And uh, we do community cooking classes as well with an emphasis on traditional foods. What were you hearing from the community? What did they want? They really wanted more access to traditional foods, support in growing those foods, and um, they really were concerned about where their food was coming from and how it was being produced. They wanted it to be produced in a way that was ethical both also to people and to animals and to the earth. And so they wanted to increase the access, but those components were really important to whatever solution we would come to together. And can you describe a little bit of the difference between like an urban or community setting versus a reservation setting? I think there's a lot of similarities of struggles with access to healthy food, transportation issues, and some of those healthier choices that just don't exist sometimes in our urban community. And I think that's really what we're trying to do under our project and with my work is really create those spaces and opportunities and have community lead the way and remember those things that our ancestors did, those practices and those foods that promote good health and wellness. And what do you see the connection between traditional foods and health and wellness? Well, I see traditional foods as those foods that our ancestors ate. Uh, they come from the earth and they have a long history of promoting good health. 
it's really about taking care of yourself physically, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually. And I think traditional foods really do that in other ways that, you know, mainstream diets don't, especially for indigenous people, because part of a traditional diet is about your relationship or your quality of your relationships you have with your relatives, both human and not. And I think that also traditional foods really speak to people's identity and history, their ancestral territory and their relationship to that. So I think it's a really a holistic approach to wellness when people are reconnected to their traditional diet. And what's your favorite traditional food? Oh, man, that's a really hard one. I would probably say uh, wild rice as a single ingredient, but I love it with a variety of berries and maple syrup and then baked until it's warm. It's really good for breakfast and as a side dish or dessert. Thank you, Shiloh. Have a great day. Thank you. So we've heard from people from across the country talking about native foods, the connection to health and wellness, talking about why it's important to bring these foods back and share with younger generations and get younger generations involved in not only teaching them about native foods, but also encouraging them to get into the agribusiness. So, Brian, where do we go from here? What would you like people to know about traditional foods? Traditional food is the core part of indigenous cuisine and the main focus when we cook, when these are um, the main ingredients that we start with. And traditional food is really sacred to um, indigenous communities. It has stories, it even ties stories within our creations with, with, di- with different tribes. And as much as indigenous chefs do not want to work with fried bread, but it has become a tradition. And I don't think it will go anywhere. So we just have to find that balance of choosing healthier food. Thank you to Chef Brian Yazzie for joining our conversation today. Thank you to those who added their voices to our discussion on health and wellness and traditional foods. Our series on health and wellness was produced through a collaboration between New Mexico PBS and Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with assistance from the USC Annenberg Center for Health Journalism and the Dennis A. Hunt Journalism Fund. This show and all of the stories from our series can be found on the National Native News website. The show was produced and engineered by Sarah Gustavus. Thank you to Christine Trudeau for gathering audio for us. Music is courtesy of Gabriel Ayala. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. We want to hear your stories about traditional foods. Go to the National Native News Facebook page and join the conversation. This is Reconnecting with a Healthy Lifestyle. We hope to hear from you soon. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.